Today's reading is the 126th Psalm. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negeb. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. You speak, O Lord. The miracle is that you speak and somehow we can hear you. We pray that you tune our hearts, our ears to hear, that we may live lives of gratitude and joy. Amen. So a few weeks ago, Ingrid and I attended an online worship with some fellow United Church ministers. Uh, the speaker, Tony Robinson, not Tony Robbins, it was not Tony Robbins, if you know who Tony Robbins is, Tony Robinson, opened one of our sessions uh, with a prayer. And the prayer included the words from a 17th century hymn called, Now Thank We All Our God. You can find it in Voices United. We'll sing this later following... The sermon, but the first couple verses go like this. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, who wondrous things has done, in whom the world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us strong in grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all ill in this world and the next. So as soon as he started reading this hymn, I was struck by the poetic elegance of the words. It's soaked in gratitude, gratitude for creation, for motherly love, abundance, blessing, countless gifts. It's kind of a perfect hymn for Thanksgiving Sunday. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but as beautiful as the hymn is, beauty isn't the most interesting thing about it because after Tony finished his prayer, he gave the hymn a little bit of background. The words were written by Martin Rinkert, a Lutheran pastor in Eisleben, say that three times fast, Eisleben, Germany, during the Thirty Years' War, 17th century, the Thirty Years' War. And during that war, his city was sieged, and during that siege, many townspeople were struck with hunger and killed by the plague. You can maybe tell why Tony was reading it. 
This hymn was written by Rinkhart following the absolute worst of it, where he was the last minister in town, and he was burying upwards of 40 people per day. That's 40, not 14, 40 people per day. And this is what he chose to write. He's burying 40 people per day, and he chooses to write, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices. So how could someone who'd experienced such misery, who'd experienced such sickness and death firsthand, how could someone with so little to be thankful for, really, other than his most own survival maybe, how could this guy sing such a song of joy? It sounds maybe a little naive or at worst, a little delusional. It might sound that way, but in writing this hymn, Rickert was rehearsing this ancient pattern, a pattern that's found throughout the Bible, and that pattern is evident in today's scripture, the 126th Psalm. This psalm begins like Rickert's hymn, with a recollection of God's wondrous works in creation. When the Lord heard, no, God's just God's wondrous works, not in creation, God's wondrous works. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues shouts for joy. And so the psalmist here is probably recounting ancient Israel's return from exile. In the 6th century BC, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah were invaded by the Babylonians, the world's largest superpower. The Babylonians burnt the country to the ground and thousands were killed, and to top it all off, they smashed the Jerusalem temple. And they hauled off countless men, women, and children into exile, away from their home in Babylon. The exile was 30 years long, or actually, no, sorry, 80 years long, 30-year war, 80-year exile, 80 years long. It was a generation And yet, one day it came to an end. Babylon fell, and the new empire that took them down, Persia, they they came in and they sent the exiles home. So things had seemed so hopeless on one hand, and then suddenly the exiles had a future. The psalm says that it was unbelievable. It was like a dream. They were giddy with laughter because the only explanation for such a reversal of fortune, they thought, was God that God had delivered them from exile. The Lord has done great things for us, they sing, and we rejoiced. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. And yet, in the second half of the psalm, we find out that things just ain't so peachy anymore. Restore our fortunes, O God, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. So we're not sure exactly what happened or how things or why things changed, but here we discover that something in Israel's life had somehow dried up like a river that ceased to flow. The only thing that's flowing in the psalm now are tears. The good times are all gone. I mean, it could have been a literal drought. We don't really know. 
but we know it was bad enough for them to think back, to think back on their deliverance from Babylon, their return from exile, and hope for another similar miracle that tears would cease and joyful shouts would happen once again. So at this point in the psalm, we might think, fine, I get it. It's perfectly normal to want things to get back to a better time. I mean, I know that I have prayed to get things back to a better time myself. I've prayed to go back eight months ago. I've prayed to go back 20 years ago before COVID ever happened. But the psalm doesn't end like that with a longing for the past or a prayer for things to go back to how they were. No, the psalm ends with an affirmation of hope. Those who go out weeping, it says, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Those who go out weeping will come home with shouts of joy. So here the psalm grabs a hold of some agricultural imagery in the riverbed run dry, where there's no life, where the tears of the exiles have fallen to the ground. The psalm says that these tears have watered the valley and that in time, the future, there will be life again. Though now sadness reigns, once again, there will be a harvest. Again, once again, there will be shouts of joy and huge sheaves of wheat, a huge bumper of crop again. Now, it could be that the psalmist is an optimist, psalmist optimist. They kind of go together, psalmist optimist. He just wants to look on the sunny side of life. Do, 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 do. More likely, though, it's not optimism. More likely, though, it's because of how the psalmist began. The psalmist remembers that what God has done before. The psalm begins with God's acts of goodness and mercy. Because God has done it all before. God has brought exiles home before. And not only that, God has brought order from chaos in creation. God has brought children to the childless. God has delivered slaves from Egypt. The psalmist has hope for in the future because God's done this all before and God can do it again and will do it again. The psalmist can be hopeful now, even when things are hopeless, because she remembers what God has already done. So the future is never actually closed. It's open because God is alive and active in the world. So this is why Martin Rinkert could give thanks for God and God's goodness in the middle of a plague in a siege because he knew that it wasn't the end. It couldn't be the end because he'd heard that Jesus had entered into death on a cross only to be raised again to new life. He knew, as the song says, that God would keep us in grace, guide us when perplexed, and free us from all ills in this world and the next, if not now soon, someday. He knew, he heard that God had dealt with this kind of thing before and that God would deal with it again eventually for good. 
And that's how he could give God thanks, even in the middle of a plague. Now, I know that our own situation isn't quite as intense as Rinkert's experience was in the Thirty Years' War, nor is it anything resembling the Babylonian exile like the psalm talks about. Our personal lives, especially where we live in BC and Canada, are relatively untouched by the world's worst troubles. But none of this means that life's been easy. Our world's been pretty messed up bad. Messed up pretty bad, you might say. <laughs> the kind of shock, the kind of massive change we've experienced, job losses, overdoses, loneliness, depression, and desperation. Combine that with our own everyday burdens and worries over the environment, racial injustice, and the struggles of our friends south of the border. And you've got yourself something of a stew of hopelessness. It's not good. I mean, it could be worse, but it doesn't mean that it's good. In this sense, though, this ancient psalm and this less ancient hymn have much to teach us. What they teach us is that our past joys, moments in our lives, and moments of history where there has been a sudden turnaround from death to life, these are not just unrepeatable accidents. But in them, we encounter something of God, the character at the heart of the universe, and the divine pattern of things. In them, we're not just given fleeting joy that one day will never return. But in them, we're giving a foretaste of the heavenly, of an even deeper, truer joy. And in remembering them, we're actually given hope, a hope that will carry us even through our worst circumstances and worst times. They tell us that God has been faithful in the past and God will be faithful in the future. And God is faithful now. Remembering past joy with gratitude helps us to become more hopeful in the promise of future joy, even when life is not joyful. Today's troubles are not eternal, they tell us. Rather, all trouble will one day be scattered in the face of the love of the eternal God. Those who sow in tears will one day again reap enjoy forever. Those who sow in tears will once again reap in joy forever. So friends, church, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, I invite you this week, maybe as you sit down to a COVID-sized family gathering, hopefully you don't have to place your chairs six feet apart around the table. I don't think I have a table that big. I don't think any of us have a table that big. Or if you watch the leaves turn in autumn, or as you stare at the ceiling during your middle-of-the-night anxiety, I invite you to remember the thing, great things the Lord has done in your life.
and in our world, no matter how small that they might seem. Remember them and be thankful and rejoice. How can we be thankful? How can we be joyful when the world ain't as it should be? We can because God has dealt with it all before and God will deal with it all again. Or as the last hymn puts it, all praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son and Spirit blessed, who reign in highest heaven, the one eternal God, whom heaven and earth adore. For thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. Happy Thanksgiving, and amen. Please join me for the hymn of the day. Now thank we all our God. Spear!